Welcome back to Geek Life, the indie comics podcast on Pandamega.com. I'm JP. As always with me is my fearless co-host, Brian. If you can't be good at something, you might as well be good at being bad. <laughs> back with us again, we have John Harder from Waterfront Comics. Hello, everyone. <laughs> For those of you that are not listening to the 4Js podcast, which that's really First sad because it's a why? great podcast. That is what John says in the beginning of everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so good and with us i guess one more time well we've had him on the four j's before yeah okay so for the first time on geek life and a brand new co-host so you're gonna be seeing a lot or i guess listening to a lot yeah of my man Get marcus clausen it's coming hello 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 so for those of you that aren't familiar with marcus marcus is the writer artist and cover artists and everything of mallow man Mallow Man is a great comic about a crime-fighting Marshmallow and his trusty sidekick, Bacon Boy. Cowardly but loyal sidekick, Bacon Boy. <laughs> and they fight uh, Injustice in Pantry City and deal with all kinds of awful and evil food. And it's pretty great. It always makes me hungry when I read it. Fantastic. That's the goal, then. <laughs> I've been told it is the quintessential indie comic book. Yeah, we, we reviewed it a while back on Geek Life. And I said that it is the quintessential indie comic. And the reason I said that is because I really feel like it, it is exactly what I am looking for and what I crave when I read indie comics. And I've been writing that quote ever since. Have you? <laughs> You're working on everything. <laughs> when I read it, I crave, I crave bacon. <laughs> yes, yes. So, uh, I want to talk a little bit about some changes on the site. So, that means we're talking about a little housekeeping. First up on housekeeping, I just wanted to inform you guys about a little format change. Well, I guess it's kind of a big format change, huh, Brian? It's quite the format change. Quite the format change. So, as our loyal listeners have, I'm sure, noticed, the releases have been a little bit inconsistent recently. And this is for a lot of different reasons, mostly scheduling problems. A lot of our normal co-hosts and guest hosts have I got kind of transitioned to new stages in their lives. Some of them are going back to school. Some of them are moving away. Some of them are less and less available. And so it's been hard to get everybody together. And then on top of that, it's just been kind of crazy and busy and everything. So in an effort to keep the podcasts consistently coming out on a regular basis, which is, of course, a good thing. And in response to all of the statistics and analytics that we have running on the, on the website and the podcasts, we have heard the cry from our listeners. Obviously, the focus of the podcast needs to shift away from the games and the movies and the zombies and more onto the comics, which is really where our heart is anyway, so that's kind of perfect. It's one of the many reasons why we wanted to have Marcus on here, because he is another indie comic writer, artist, and creator. That and he's devilishly handsome. And I got a lot of things to say about what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so we are looking forward to a, you know, a shift, a shift in the yes. subject. Uh, pretty much we're not going to be rotating anymore. When we first started all the way back on podcast number one, we said, hey, we're going to do indie comics one week. Then we're going to do zombies another. And then another, the next week will be movies. And the next week will be games. video games. And this was mostly because we had no idea what we're doing. <laughs> you it's know, sad, but true. It is sad, but true. Come to find, you know, I guess at this point, almost years later, coming up on December will be two years going. November, actually. November. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's right. Anyway, so almost two years in, we uh, have figured out what we're doing a little bit better and have decided to focus in our subject matter. Um, our you know download statistics vary pretty crazily when it comes to the different episodes, and we're seeing trends that people care more about the comics than anything else, especially when we get into the 
creator side of things and the creative side of things and time management and techniques and dealing with artists and writer's block and all that kind of stuff. So this is what we'll talk about more and more. And I'm actually really excited about this format change. Along with the format change, we're going to be reducing the length of the podcast a little bit. Historically, it's been about an hour. Now it's going to be between, you know, 30 and 45 minutes, something like that. This is, again, going to make things easier for us to come out on a regular basis, be more consistent, all that kind of stuff. We're looking really forward to that. Yeah, the way that the format change is going to be is that it's going to be alternating between a webcomic spotlight and an indie comic review. We will still have some, you know, specials where we talk about video games or other subjects. Yeah, that's every incidental. Now and then. Yeah, it's yeah. not going to be all the it's, time. They are, as I said, specials, you know, they're, yeah. they're not scheduled items. It's going to be kind of when the mood hits us or when there's some kind of a special event. And it, again, it's not just going to be webcomic spotlights and then indie comic reviews. We're also going to be regularly having segments and really dig into the subject of comics, creating comics, comic culture, all that kind of stuff. Next week, we're going to be talking about comics for noobs, or essentially our kind of noob guide for comics. You know, you walk into a comic book store and you're like, WTF, mate, there's so many things. It's just wall-to-wall paper and pictures, and I recognize some stuff. I don't recognize other stuff. I don't know what to do, and it can be a little overwhelming. So, Or in your case, I remember you were reading the Avengers comic, and you're like, what the fuck? There's a guy who's the universe? <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. So I can, uh, I can, I think that it's going to be really fun to talk about. We're going to wrangle uh, John Harder back on there with us to drop some knowledge on us. The bad thing was I said that too. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. One last thing in the change in format. Brian, the Brian, is going to be stepping down into a little bit more of a backseat role. He'll drop by whenever he damn well pleases because he is magnificent and magnanimous and glorious. But uh, we'll be pretty much not on every episode like he used to be. He's not going to be one of the co-hosts. He's going to be a guest host to switch roles. So Marcus is stepping up, filling his shoes, his, again, giant magnanimous shoes. And, Good luck with that. Right. And then Joe will be staying on as a co-host. He's a very dedicated dude and always into it. He's not here today because of scheduling issues. Again, school. But we are finding time so that we can all get together and, and record in the future. Yeah, if you've noticed throughout the summer, I've been on fewer and fewer episodes. And just but that's um and that's because life has just been a little crazy and that doesn't seem to be slowing down anytime soon. Yeah. So <laughs> that's true, that's true. Cool. Whenever I think of La Vida Loca, I think of the Brian. That makes sense. So you look look it up in the in the Encyclopedia Britannica. Living La Vida Loca, it's his entry one. Ricky Ricky. Martin, entry two, The Brian. (laughs) Entry three, Menudo. (laughs) All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into our subject of the week. This week, we are talking about an indie comic from the web, or as some people say, a web comic. It is called Brood Hollow. Now, John Harder told me all about this one. He's very excited. John is a bit of a Kickstarter troll. (laughs) Just spends all day thumbing through Kickstarter. And it's great because he comes at us with all this really cool stuff. So, John, why don't you tell us a little bit about why you picked this one and why it stood out to you in the first place? Well, what stood out to me on Kickstarter was, one, it was funded for like a thousand percent over what it asked. Which is crazy. So, right away, that got me to look at it. And And the Kickstarter page was laid out very nicely. And the artwork... While not being super detailed, it was it looked very very pleasing. So it was yeah, it's you know, excellent it excellent work. I've got a lot to say about that today. It's it's really good stuff. His video was really awesome too. Had like a, a lot of great like non sequiturs that kind of just punched in there. His personality and 
I never watched the videos. You never watched. You gotta watch the, all the videos. So good. That's He's, so funny, John, because if you look up guides to be successful in crowdfunding, people really recommend a video and a, a good video with humor and good content. Like that's pretty high on the list of you're not gonna get funded unless you have a good video. I mean, with me with the comics, it's always about the story. True. So I generally look to see if they have the story already up on a web page where I can sample it. Mm-hmm. And when and with this one, you know, the whole book was up there. You know, that that was what turned me on to it. Well, you know, and that's something we see a lot. A comic that starts as a webcomic and really gets some traction and a good fan base. And then they move to do a crowdfunding campaign and then get it published and take it out to to the people, as it were. Which is always fun because then you get extra content. You know, instead of it just being what it is, you get to have sketches and maybe a little posts and information like that. And that's pretty cool. Just as a quick aside, and if and if I derail us, just let me know. Mm-hmm. I always wonder... If the whole thing is up on the web for free, why would I want to kickstart it for just the PDF level? I think just supporting it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously just to support it. Yeah, but I mean, I don't see a draw to having the PDF, yeah. you know? I mean, perhaps perhaps the PDF allows you to have it on your phone in an easy-to-read format, you know? Maybe, like, translate it. You know what they need to do is they need to give it out in, like, a CBR format. They really do, yeah. Which is the most common comic book or e-comic book format. That actually makes a lot of sense because there's a lot of programs that gobble those up and spit them out into a really nice setup. and It's pretty cool. So on to the comic. Brood Hollow is by Chris Straub. Now, if you guys would like to follow along with us as you listen, you can go to broodhollow.com. That's B-R-O-O-D, hollow.com, which redirects to broodhollow.chainsawsuit.com. Now, we had a little bit of trouble with the server seeming like it was down, and so it seems like the redirect can be kind of wonky here and there. So probably best to go to broodhollow.chainsawsuit.com, spelled just as the way it sounds. Or just Google Broodhollow. Yeah, or just Google Broodhollow. It comes right up. So Broodhollow is about an anxiety-ridden man struggling to overcome his elaborate fears and phobias, who slowly learns that they may be an unlikely key to understanding a town's disturbing supernatural events. Or so he believes. So let me just go ahead and pull up the About the Author page on the website. So, Chris, creator of... The Gagaday Chainsaw Suit and Sci-Fi Saga Star Slip. Chris has been an online cartoonist for over 12 years. He has appeared regularly in Penny Arcade's Blamimation animated series and the live-action Chris and Scott's Scott and Chris show. Well, that's easy to say. Not. (laughs) Chris is also very interested in horror, especially in a supernatural or cosmic vein. He has written many short horror stories at Icker Falls, including Candle Co., if you go ahead and go to the Brute Hollow website and click on the About the Author page, which is what I just read there, there are links to both Icker Falls and the Candle Cove. So you want to go ahead and check those out because his uh, stuff is really good. So like we said before, the story is about a rather superstitious and you know borderline crazy gentleman. Yeah, he's got probably apophenia, which is a mental disorder where you basically see meaningful patterns or connections in basically random or meaningless Oh, that's a, that's a good shot because that's definitely what's going on with him there. Yeah. Interesting. So his name is Wadsworth Zane. He's a 26-year-old salesman for Encyclopedia Atlantica, suffers from anxiety. He's phobic and superstitious to a fault. I think you can add a little OCD on there too. He seems to. Yeah. That's kind of what I got. It's very OCD. <laughs> yeah. Seemed pretty normal to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. So the story picks up with... Wadsworth actually sitting and talking to Dr. We don't we don't get the psychiatrist's name until 
probably 20 or 30 strips in. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Well, I will give you guys a little sneak peek. It is Dr. Klaus Angstorm, who is 51 years old, psychoanalyst, author, expert on the human psyche with 100% success rate. <laughs> I love how the auxiliary pages on a webcomic, if they're done well, it adds to the whole experience. Because if it's a webcomic and that's how you're presenting it, you need to put the kind of time and energy into really making the web experience correct, you know, and making it polished. There's a lot of effort that goes into layout and everything for print comics. And I think sometimes people just kind of slap something on the Internet. And uh, Chris has done a really excellent job. His site is great. I really like his site. It navigates well. It's really nice looking and has a has a good look and feel and just is really clean, easy to navigate. Well, the only thing that I I had a hard time with was that I wanted to go trying to find a strip in the middle of his first chapter. Mm-hmm. You had to use the calendar function on the right as opposed to being able to look at like a list of the pages. And so I had a hard time going back and trying to find where I was at if I closed yeah, the I page down. I almost wish the book was broke up into more chapters. Yeah, definitely. Th- that's kind of the challenge. And a lot of the time, these sites are powered by WordPress. And there's basically a lot of different plugins and backend stuff you can choose from for archives. And... Some of them are a little more cumbersome than others, especially when it's been going for a long time, like Brood Hollow has a couple years now. So it can be, or I guess a little over a year, maybe. Yeah, a little over a yeah. year. Yeah, and so it can be cumbersome, especially with the kind of release rate that Chris stays at, which is pretty impressive. It's like a three, a three a week or something. Yeah, it's three a week. It's that's insane. Yeah. Um, October eighth, so a little less than a year now. Yeah, it's impressive. It's impressive. We're the story, so the story picks up with Wadsworth in Brood Hollow already. And he's talking to, to the uh, the doctor and basically goes back and flashes back and explains how he got himself to Brood Hollow and what the point was. And essentially his uncle, who recently passed away, who I guess he heard like his great uncle once removed or some stuff. I mean, it's a very very distant, distant, yeah, it's distant relative, right? Great grand uncle once removed or something like that. Yeah, right. He had never heard of. Yeah. So he had no clue that this guy existed. And he gets this package in the mail. That says, hey, so-and-so has passed away. and it's, you, it's been in the mail for like five and a half months trying yeah, to find him. Literally longer than the allotment of time for him to actually come and claim his inheritance, almost. Like, he practically missed it. So, I mean, it wasn't at all working out in the mail-wise. Which, of course, Wadsworth sees as a pattern and things are against him and he's so paranoid. Well, when, when we meet him, he is really down on his luck. He is really down on his luck. Right? I, I would imagine... So. Trying to sell encyclopedia sets in the heart of the Great Depression would would be pretty tough. Right. And actually, there's a great strip where he's trying to sell some of these encyclopedias. And this guy opens the door and says, I don't have rent for the last time. I'll leave me alone. Oh, wait, you're not you're not my landowner. Oh, OK. Well, what do you want? He goes, well, I'm selling knowledge. He's like, can you eat it? <laughs> well, no. Well, and we don't want it. <laughs> the door closes. It's like, oh, well, all right. And then he kind of wanders up. He's like, I wish I could eat it. Solve a lot of problems. Because <laughs> <laughs> in his house, he just has this room just full of copies of this encyclopedia books. And it's just, he can't sell anything. He's just like, totally down in his life. I like to gag about five or six in when he's like, I'll just take my traveling set. And it's this huge. <laughs> it's like only 52 yeah, books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like how he takes his travel set to do something that's got nothing to do with his job. Listen, if he's a traveling salesman, bring it with him. Bring it with you. Yeah. Yeah. Opportunity. So let's, let's break it up into two sections. Let's first start and focus in on the story. So what do you guys have anything to say about the story? Uh, jokes, any ideas? I thought it was a real web page turner in this case. Yeah, definitely. you, You wanted to see how the story was progressing and it wasn't any of those like, Oh, I'm getting bored of this. It's you wanted to keep going. 
I can understand why he comes out with them at that kind of a pace because they're not a joke a day silly strip style. It's not something that you can go and then kind of move on and then come back to the next week that it's it really leaves you wanting to know what happens next. And that's one of the biggest challenges with web comics. And so it's great that he comes out at a good frequency because especially early on, you're wondering like, oh, what happens next? It's sort of it's an incomplete thought on a very regular basis. for yeah. Just one page. Joe, if you're listening, well. This really doesn't need a random button. It really shouldn't have a random button. Because it would make no freaking sense It would make sense no sense. No. And no, if it's you a aren't linear story. What the hell, man? <laughs> I thought it was a really good combination of uh, like a serious tone. And then like it had it had jokes that hit. Like, really hit well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hit really well. Yeah. Which is great because sometimes you get the web comics that are just a joke a day kind of thing. And they're sort of hit or miss. But this has a really good – I mean like it hits – what it's trying to accomplish each time. The story is interesting, it's intriguing, the art is clean, expressive, and when there's a joke in there, it doesn't fall flat on its face. Like I didn't come across any joke that didn't make me at least chuckle. And when it gets to the point where it's like horror genre, it hits really well. It gets really good. His art style changes completely, and it it really sets the tone for that horror feel. Yeah, it's really cool. And it's got a great cast of characters. I mean, the Bottle Fly Boys... Those so guys are their, awesome. Their character design is amazing. The Bottlefly Boys have the greatest character design because they all basically have the exact same eyes, but then have, you know, different hair and face and clothes and stuff like that. But like they all are related somehow, clearly. Well, no, they're not. Oh, no, they're not. They don't actually say one way or the other. Well, no, they kind of they jokingly, he says, like, he, are you guys related? And they go, ah, oh, ha, 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 come follow me. He doesn't really answer it. Yeah. <laughs> Which sounds kind of sinister somehow <laughs> you know but then again wadsworth sort of presents everything as being a little sinister i like the the character designs are like a combination of like lego heads meets powerpuff girls yes so yes. it's very simple but he manages to pull off a really complex story with these characters i was also thinking the icon from uh the fallout games yes 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 that sort of 50s style you know insert well, i don't know even know what you would call it like a 50s style sort of informational character yes you know there is a couple pages in there's a great little bit that explains wadsworth really well and it's it's towards the end of the comic i'm an encyclo- i'm an encyclopedia man dr angstorm a man of science not superstition i found behaviors that improve circumstances in my life like a scientist would and the doctor says and these behaviors protect you from the ghosts and he goes yes <laughs> <laughs> Like, that's a perfect example of him because he's so articulate. He's seemingly very intelligent, incredibly observational, but at the same time, like, terrified to leave doors open at night because the other side then is sort of ambiguous and dangerous. And he, like, he wants to close it and make sure that it's safe, you know? Oh, not just doors, but anything that can be open. So, you know, dresser drawers and the likes, you gotta close them all. It's 100% open or 100% closed, right? That was a Right, what did he say? He he says um, he's concerned about keeping doors shut. Even if anything's ajar, the space behind becomes transient and unsafe. <laughs> like, That's what good. a That's mental good. character. He's so great because you can do all this fun stuff and have him see things that maybe aren't there. And they're doing all this great stuff with the with this, the dreams that totally shift the art style and are creepy. Like, they look like something you'd see in an illustration out of a H.P. Lovecraft book or something. It reminds me of Dead Space. Yes. Yes. Very much so. Yes. And I love his French dream skeleton buddy <laughs> that character's great nice, nice i didn't think that behavior was that strange though <laughs> no like well like, it just like, reminds me of like it reminds me of how i was when i was a kid and i would watch a scary movie and i'd get home and i'd need to close my closet 
and close my window, sh- you know, like my window shade just to make sure that there were no like just gaping dark spaces in my room. I mean, I may have a touch of OCD that I didn't know about, but like when Jamie will leave a, you know, like a cupboard door open, I'm like, damn it. And I have to close it, you know, and, but I always thought it was just like a safety thing because I didn't want to bang my head on it, you know, and not realize it was. Sure, like, sure, sure. Right. But you didn't but- think ghosts were going to come out, right? If you didn't close it? Maybe. <laughs> Don't 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 tempt Jeremiah, right? Yeah. Don't I tempt mean, we Jeremiah. Have we have two here. ghosts living here. We have Jeremiah downstairs, and, Mary, yeah. and then Mary, who lives up here. Really, I didn't know that there was a second ghost. Oh, there's a second ghost, Mary. She's had a she oh. had a sorted sorted past. We'll she have to do a, a ghost. <laughs> yes. So one probably of the things at about in the time that uh, Brute Hollow was. Oh saying. yeah, probably about. I thought that is interesting that he's so often in his head. Like there were several pages that were just him just talking to himself, or almost I would say not just but largely. It was just him talking to himself and uh, he gets, he like imagines his moods and emotions as almost like a personified something. Like, I'm not saying that he sees them, but he'll say something like, well, then then along comes worry, you know, or, you know, I'm, you know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. Like I didn't catch that. Interesting. Yeah. It's a couple I mean, it's, it's, it's early on when he first is coming off of the train station at Brood Hollow and he's talking about being nervous and, and it's just, it's, he has compartmentalizes things really well. You know, and so it's interesting because it takes advantage of one of the coolest things you can do in comics, which is inner monologue. You can get away with a crap ton of inner monologue on a comic, and it doesn't feel forced or awkward or weird or anything like that. You know, when you start to transition into animation and movies and things like that, it's it really gets kind of forced and awkward, and it's very difficult to do correctly. And comics lend themselves really well to lots of inner monologue. And Wadsworth is a very introspective and nervous sort of character, and you get a really cool picture of what's going on in his head. And there's, like I said, several pages that's almost, you know, by and large, him sort of processing what's going on and sharing with us a little bit about how he feels about something and, and the way his mind works. And it's it's very interesting because his mind sort of wraps itself around this environment and, and what's going on in his circumstances in a very interesting way. I liked how there's like random stuff going on that isn't explained. Yeah. Like there's this one, um, the strip on October 26th is he's talking to an elderly woman on a train. And they're having this conversation, and then it's the second to last, the second to last panel, and he says, "Yeah, I'm going to Brood Hollow. It'll be my first visit. Have you been there?" And then the lady like snaps around, and she's like, "Young man, you woke me." So was he really talking to her? Was it, right? Did he like I mean, lose time it, there? And it's, like, it's, and it's not ever explained. No, not anywhere all. else. So it's and he tries to talk to her again in the next page as he's walking off of the train, and she just will not respond to him. And so it's kind of like, what's real? Like, it's sort of setting us up to have a sort of permeable line, or a a sort of like squishy line between reality and fiction and what's in his head and what's tangible. I really like that, that there were points in the the strip where I was like, oh my gosh, that's happening? That's crazy. And then later on, you're like, wait a minute, did Did that happen? Did that happen? Right, yeah. I think that the final thing I want to say about the story, and that segues well into the art, is that he has some visual foreshadowing. That's really cool. Like, did you guys notice when he got to the train station to go to Brood Hollow and he tries to get on a train and the guy's like, no, that train over there. And it looks like a train like <laughs> that belongs in Silent Hill or something. It's yeah. all rusted and awful looking and has way more detail than anything else. Like everything else is pretty much monochrome most of the time with a little yeah. bit of a, of a like a Photoshop texture over it. But this train had all this detail, this rust and it was creepy and had this very different palette to it than everything else around it really stood out. And it was just kind of like. Oh, the, that train? <laughs> Didn't it look like it was like an older train? Like, yeah. Like, say, like a train you would have seen 50 years earlier. Well, he was saying... It looked the conductor rusty. Guy, yeah, the guy, the guy that he was talking to that pointed him to the train, he said, that's like the last train 
that's on those tracks, like that fits on those tracks. It's like a different, almost like a different format or something before they changed over. So uh, any other thoughts about the story before we move on to the art? It's also a very interesting town because it's a town like that's just got like a holiday pretty much every single day. Right. The town they jump into that pretty holidays. quick. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they say, when you say hello, you say hello, hello, hello for At three times. reason. And they try and get him to do it. And he's like, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the great thing is that any other greeting you just say once. But if it's hello, you say it three times. There seems to be some eccentricities to the town. I think moving forward, we're going to find more and more sort of odd things going yeah. on there that the townsfolk are like, yeah, that's just how it is here in Brood Hall. Oh, it's wonderful, isn't it? You should do it too. Yeah. I actually yeah. really liked looking at the, or reading on the, the holidays. Like I can think of three off the top of my head that showed up in this one. There was Banner Day. There was um, Ouster's Eve. And then there was, right. uh, there's one more that they had mentioned, but like, it was cool that they just kept on kind of coming up. It was like, oh yeah, it's this, this day. Well, yeah, it's definitely it's something you... like an ongoing thing because it's supposed to have like, so many holidays. And there are certain things that I love that I don't – well, I don't want to give too much away, but um, there is kind of a bat attack where you're wondering <laughs> how much is real and how much isn't. And he finds one of the bats the next day and keeps it and names it Mercy, and it follows him around like a loyal puppy dog. It's <laughs> awesome. And you can buy the Mercy plushies on the site, by the way. Yeah, there's like good stuff in the store. Um, and also, I kind of have to mention this because I don't want to give it away and how the story works and everything for those of you who haven't read it all. But the final panel, it's like, holy. Of what's out at the yeah. time of this recording. Of, yeah. Well, there's yeah, the final book one. Panel final of book one. Oh, book yeah. one. Book one. Yeah. yeah. So the final panel of book one. Well, there's going to be more like, coming back soon, right? I think book two is scheduled for October. Mm -hmm. um, not 100% sure on that, but. I yeah. think there was a post name back in October. Yeah. So I can't wait for that to come out because it's like, how dare you leave me on something like that? It man? was such a beautiful, like, it's, I didn't see it coming at all. Oh, nor did I. And when you, when he says what he says, it's just like, really, really? We're leaving it like that? Okay. <laughs> but I guess I'm going to read so more. So many more things make so much more sense in a way, you know, with how a lot of the things go on in that town. It's and how really people behave in the really town. really makes you want more, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the general populace's uh, behavior in the town is, it's eerie in its own little way. Like, everyone is a little too friendly when he first gets there. And that, to me, is That's sort of a creepy Pleasantville thing going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> you know. Um, remember, it is small town 30s. True, so. true. Well, before we move into talking about the art of Brood Hollow, we're going to go ahead and take a quick musical break. Music will be provided by our friends over at Air Plus Recordings. And uh, we'll see you guys when we get back listening to Geek Life, the indie comics podcast. Stick with us.
Welcome back to Geek Life, the indie comic podcast. We're talking about the artwork now of Brood Hollow by Chris Straub. Like I said earlier, I love the character design on this comic strip. It's really simplistic, but you can tell that a lot of care went into the design of all the different characters. And like, there's there's simple things in it that I that I love too. Where like uh, when the psychiatrist is on profile, his glasses are just a thin rectangle that aren't yeah. actually connected to his head. Mm-hmm. And uh, you think, oh well, that's that's a really simple way to draw, and it's convenient because he does three strips a week. But then you look at some of the background art, and it's just amazing with like these full what I'm guessing is watercolor. Uh, overlays or something? Uh, well, so it looks to me like he uses a lot of like Photoshop textures to make it have the sort of... He does it very skillfully. I actually have a note down here to kind of gush about how well he does with all that. Yeah. Because it's easy to overdo and it's super popular right now. And so if it's not done tastefully, it's kind of like, ugh, more of this. You know, but it's but he does a really good job, and it makes it look as though it was drawn on like watercolor paper or something like that, which is yeah, really it's cool. really really successful. I mean, when when it's in the the more comedic plot, moving forward, driving points of the comic, it's it's subtle, and you can almost miss it if you're not looking totally. for the artwork. Totally. But then when it gets to like the horror part of it, it just kicks you in the face, and you're like, wow, that's that's really really amazing. And like he he makes you feel scared. It's yeah, really it's really good. Yeah, I would say that his character style strays a little bit into the the iconic realm. For those of you that haven't read Scott McCloud's excellent book, Understanding Comics, that should be top of your reading list if you're a comic fan of any kind. Doesn't or if matter. you want to make comics, especially if you oh, want to yeah. make comics. Oh, yeah. But I mean, even it just it, it increases your ability to appreciate comics. On, it's such a high level. It's such a great book. But one of the things he talks about, is he talks about how you have kind of different, different like a, this range that comic book art exists within from you know realistic to iconic iconic being like all the way like the most extreme version of iconic would be something like a stick man right where it's very clear what it is because it's iconic imagery but it's not anything like realistic would be and then you also have kind of another realm where it becomes a sort of abstract like abstract art where they're you know using squares for eyes but it's in the right position and so you can tell what it's meaning but it's it's sort of implied more than described and I think that that's one of the cool things that he has going on here because Chris does a great job of having really iconic looking characters, really what other people would call simplified characters. But they are still very expressive and it's very clear what they're thinking and where they're looking and they're very distinct from one to, one to another. But then also he has a lot of these elements of oh, kind of a little bit of an abstract flavor. Like you were talking about how he does the glasses, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's very an abstract sort of thing because it's clear what it is, but it's not at all how glasses work, like at all. Yeah. You know, and there's several things like that, especially some of the background stuff is very much like that. But he does a great job of dancing that line. He has more abstract expression in his art than most web comics that you see. He dances around that realm a lot. It's very cool. And I love the horror designs, I guess I should say. Which jumps straight into yeah. the super detailed, creepy, dark, in- just ooh. incredibly detailed, incredibly creepy. And it's for anything that's either real or perceived. Like when you first see the bottle fly boys, because they're coming out of an alley, they just kind of like say something like, hey, to him. And he's thinking that they're a bunch of goons that are going to jump and attack him. Yeah. And they look like these hulking, evil looking guys. And the bottle fly boys are big dudes, but they're really jovial kind of people. And they're super friendly. Yeah. But he just figured that they were a bunch of people that were going to take him into the alley and beat him mm-hmm. uh, and steal everything that he has. But when so, he's afraid, things take on this sort of freaky yeah. sort of look. Yeah, it's it's so as a Chris expresses a great deal of 
of flexibility in his artistic ability in this comic, which is really cool. A lot of the time, comics have a very distinctive style and just sticks with that. Especially web comics that come out at a sort of breakneck pace like this. They're very often more in the iconic, simplified sort of realm, and they just kind of bang them out. But he takes the time to do these things here and there where it's appropriate. It's yeah. not It's it not feels showing like off. It fits it's in, really, even yeah, though it's a completely different art style. Definitely. Well, I feel like he made me feel like I could see from the point of view of Wadsworth because when they showed the the Bottlefly boys, they were almost completely in silhouettes. They're in a dark alley, so you get the perception right away of, oh yeah, those are big scary guys. Like you understand what the protagonist is going through and why he could be scared. And then the next thing you know, he turns it around and he's like, oh yeah, by the way, we're the Bottlefly boys and we're just a jolly bunch of guys. Yeah, we're helpful. Yeah. We're coming from the speakeasy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that they have a speakeasy that doesn't serve alcohol. Yeah, it serves some kind of decanting thing from some wood that they have there in Brood Hollow, but it it does not alcohol, but it's got a kick like alcohol. <laughs> it's like, what? Um, one of the things I really wanted to make sure to touch on, could be, and Marcus mentioned it earlier, are the backgrounds. The backgrounds are great. And a lot of the backgrounds, at first glance, look like he's doing the kind of fast and easy, just blank, you know, it's like a blank background with the characters in front and your, and your speech bubbles. But if you take a closer look, you go, oh, there's some texture there. And if you take an even closer look, you realize that there's these subtle sort of, and a lot of the times, monochromatic silhouettes. Silhouettes of trees and houses, silhouettes of people, silhouettes of fences and you know all this stuff that that gives this really clean and clear understanding of where they are and what's going on and atmosphere but at the same time it really does a good job of fading into the background another thing you see people do a lot of the time is that instead of using black outlines or black line art for the background stuff people tend to shift it to sort of a monochrome look where you know say they have a chair that is brown the actual depth of the chair the fill of the chair is going to be a, a more sort of sandy brown and then what would be the black outline in a traditional comic is actually this like deep dark brown and it helps things sort of fade and then tends the characters tend to retain that actual just black ink but something that he does here that's totally different but in a very similar vein is he has that silhouette going on where all that details there but it's really it's uh, but it's just silhouetted. There's actually not even a line to it, and I think that's really cool. I've always been fascinated with silhouettes. I think the silhouettes are really powerful, you know, iconic in their own way, sort of tool. A lot of the time, you'll see a lot of silhouettes in logos for things because they do a very good job of communicating what they are. Because that's how we see things. We've talked before about a good way to see if your characters are recognizable is to just draw a silhouette of them, you know, like draw them and then just fill it in and see if you can tell who's who just by arguably their their shadow. And obviously his characters are very much like that, but the, he does a great job of doing that with the backgrounds. And there was a couple of scenes where he was walking through the town. And it's just really cool. And for a while, it's almost all monochromatic. And then later on, he brings in, you know, multiple different colors in the background, but he's still still heavy use of the of the silhouettes, which I find super attractive. I'm so jealous of his character design because there's never a question in my head about which character is which character ever. It's like, yeah. it, that's clearly Wadsworth. Yeah. That's clearly the doctor. That's clearly the mayor. That's clearly, uh, was it Mr. Blanchett? I love that guy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's my role model from here going forward. I like to imagine like a, the voice of Will Arnett coming out of his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> that's so awesome. Early on, I noticed that there was very few, if any, use of actual gradient in the coloring, which I thought was, well, first of all, great, because gradient, when you're working with computer, inevitably, even if it's done by hand, 
painting or with pens or something like that and you scan it in, the computer will perceive these sort of thresholds of color and it gets this sort of like lined look. I don't know how else to describe it. It's like a like the old-fashioned printers that would poorly make a transition in a fade. Yeah, just so it's like a clear bars of like yeah, lighter, and bars. Then lighter and then lighter exactly. and then lighter, yeah. And one of the things that people do a lot of the time these days to bypass that or to smooth it out is to put the texture on there like he's done. And he does that very effectively when there is gradient, but it's super rare. He does not lean on that very heavily. And I, I like that a lot. I think that that's a, a really slick way to go and still manage to have his characters pop against his backgrounds. Because that's one of the things that's a common thing. You have much more complicated backgrounds, detailed, more realistic backgrounds on the more simplified, iconic characters. And it helps them pop right out of the backgrounds and really show. But he has arguably even more iconic, more silhouetted, sort of simplified backgrounds. And his characters still show through which I think is really cool. I actually really liked when he did the silhouettes of characters and the conversation was still going. I didn't need to know who was saying what because it's clear based off of where the, the word bubbles are, but he would color the word bubble the same color as the silhouette of the character yes. was talking. Really, and it was really good like, use of palette. Yeah. It was just, it, it was stupid proof. It was like that way, no matter what, <laughs> I'm going to get this comic book. Nice. I think the last thing that I noticed that I really liked a lot and makes me go, oh, I need to do that. Did you notice that a lot of his thought bubbles or voice speech bubbles are not round. They're like rounded edged squares. Yeah. Which let me tell you, as somebody who's had to try and figure out how to fit, you know, word bubbles into a comic, it would be amazing to have a little bit of space in those four corners more, you know, using an actual rounded circle or even, or let alone some kind of an oval, a surprisingly tiny amount of words fill up in a massive amount of space. Wouldn't you say, Marcus? Oh yeah, definitely. I spend a lot of time when I'm doing my comic, just trying to make them squeeze into the right in the right bubble it's it's a pain yeah it is a pain i can i don't know how many times i've gotten scripts from joe and <laughs> i mean joe's you know we give joe a hard time for having lots of text in his scripts and you know that's it's his style and it's it's not as bad as we make it out to be mostly we razz him when he's here really or not here obviously yeah doesn't really matter <laughs> but, we'll razz him anyways yeah but we tend to razz him about that but it's really not that bad it's very reasonable but i don't know how many times i've you know, get it because it's different when you're making your own story and your own script. You can kind of it, it's all a little bit more organic and flexible. But when you're getting someone else's script, it's their vision and you have to help them realize it. And that's very tricky. And when you as the artist are imagining how a, how a, the page layout's going to be, what the kind of, I guess, essentially camera angle will be, all that kind of stuff, you have to work in space for the thought bubbles and the text bubbles and all that kind of stuff. And it gets to be almost oppressive in the pages at times and it can be really hard to fit in there and so the really inefficient circular thought bubbles and text bubbles are are really kind of frustrating and i I, i'm honestly thinking that i might in in the future because i've already sort of set precedent with the comics that i'm doing now but in the future i'm brood hall was maybe one of fiddle with the the sort of rounded square ones and i think it looks good it's clean it fits a lot more text on there it's efficient and it's nice it's really nice i got a question for you guys when Mm. you when you draw marcus and jp do you lay out your word bubbles first before you draw, or do you... In the thumbnails, yes. When I thumbnail, I kind of figure I'm going to need some space here, but that's about the extent of it. I lay my word bubbles out when I'm thumbnailing. I tend to do pretty dang detailed sketches, like like super fast thumbnails, but like really detailed sketches because that's just, I don't know, that's just how I like to do it. I'm not, I'm not real comfortable with shoring up my stuff and sort of like actually creating the look of things with ink. I'm... My medium and my favorite thing to draw in, I mean, even down to the feel of of it scraping against the paper, I like pencil. That's my favorite. And so, you know, 
but at the same time, ink is a hugely important thing, you know, and so I like to uh, have really detailed. So I tend to go way out of my way to really figure it out. I was just thinking, you know, if you have it laid out, then there's no need to draw where a word bubble is going to be. And that a lot of people don't figure that out at first, you know, so they have all this detailed artwork that gets three quarters covered up with the word bubble. Cause you know, yeah, it actually, you can have a lot of efficiency when you think like, okay, this, I mean, especially after you've been doing it for a little while and you get a sense for, okay, this amount of text is probably going to take about this much space up. And it's going to, I'm going to need to lay out this much. I mean, in comics, it's great because you can hide shit. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the secret reality to one of the reasons why comics can happen so fast is that the things that are much more challenging to draw a lot of the time very naturally fit out of the page. Like if you're going to do a full body, you see a lot of young artists, you know, have them like holding their hands behind their back or something like that because people really struggle with hands. But in a comic, if you're just having busts of people talking, it doesn't look like you're trying to hide something. It's just the way it susses out. It's the it's the natural way of things. You know, you watch a movie, you don't see people with their hands up, shoulder or face height. That's unnatural. They hang relaxed down at your sides. And so when you're having some a lot of dialogue or something like that in a comic book, very naturally, you're just dealing with kind of, you know, mid chest, shoulder up. And then on top of that, if you've got a bigger page with a larger layout and you've got a lot of text over it, you know, you can have them. For example, I did something recently where there was characters in a a movie theater. And let me tell you, movie theaters are sort of a hassle to draw because there's a shit ton of, of chairs. <laughs> and believe it or not, there's a lot of detail in those damn chairs. <laughs> so I was loving the fact, because it was one of Joe's comics, so I was loving the fact that there was lots of text <laughs> because I could just be like, man, you should cover that up with a big fat word bubble. <laughs> you know, and so then it, it, there's a lot less to draw on. So it, it is one of the ways you can be efficient. So you know, that's like a, actually that's kind of a good point, John. You brought up like, you know, being cognizant of your of like doing really good thumbnails and being clear about where you're going to put. Even we're talking like sound effects. Yeah. Like Marcus has great sound effects in his comics. It's one of the things he does the best of this is really great, interesting, you know, handmade sound effects. He doesn't just like throw them on, on the computer. They're all done penciled in and they cover a lot of space and they have a lot of character to them. And it allows you to draw attention to that. And you don't have to spend all that space, you know, doing all this detailed background when you're just going to drop a big sound effect over the top. One of my favorite Jack Kirby quotes was someone asked him, how are you able to draw two or three pages a day? And he says, I know what not to draw. Nice. I haven't learned that yet. <laughs> it's <laughs> I'm, tricky. I'm working on it. You know, my thing is that I, I really hate negative space. And so I will draw the entire page how I want it to look thinking that, okay, well, I know that the bubble is going to be in this general vicinity. Um, but because I don't know what size the bubble is going to be at that point, my scripting process really bites me in the ass because I write the plot um, on my thumbnails saying, here he's going to say this part, here he's going to say this part, here he's going to say mm -hmm. this part. But because it's comedy, I didn't actually write jokes for it yet. I'm like, I'll make it funny later. <laughs> <laughs> and so I put just like really, really brief synopsis of what they're going to say in the word bubbles. And then I often lengthen it to make a joke for each page. Mm. And then so the word bubbles will expand. And I just want to make sure that there's going to be something, not something to cover, but I want to make sure that there's going to be something behind there in case I need to make it smaller, in sure. case my, my joke doesn't fill that entire yeah. space. I know, I, I know you're, sorry, go ahead, Brian. I remember last week you were talking with JP about one of your pages and you were thinking that it was going to turn out terrible. And then all of a sudden you put splat on there and it just made the page look awesome. Yeah, dude, you're, I mean, seriously, I'm like jealous of your of your sound effects. Your sound effects are freaking great. I know what page you're talking about, and that splat did save the it, day. It, it did save it the did day. Save it's the in a big, bad way. <laughs> cool. Well, do we have any final thoughts about Brood Hollow bringing it back to the point? <laughs> Read it! Uh, make more, please. Yeah, it yeah. Uh, please. This is going to be one that I that I follow. I'm going to Now, keep, John, did you, end up, did you end up funding that one? I, uh, I checked it out. It's available online. So I went there because... Owning a comic book store, I literally have a store full of books. That's true. <laughs> and 
it's something I can revisit. But if but if it wasn't readily available to me online, I definitely would have bought the PDF version. Yeah, it's a great it's a great comic. And if they had made a hardcover version available, I probably would have got that. But I think that's a lot of what makes a successful Kickstarter. I guess what draws me personally in because I do. I mean, granted, I do did kind of grow up in the sort of digital age, but I still have enough of that old school like like geeky need to collect things that if there's a special edition of something, I'll pay for that. <laughs> you know, by the time that I actually saw the Kickstarter campaign, it was already funded, and I kind of wish that it wasn't because I would actually like would like to have pledged and to got this book. I want special features. I want I want to see what Dude, the sketches right? look like. Right? I want to see the the creation process of, mm-hmm. of this world that he's made. Um, and it seems like the guy's a cool guy. Like if you watch his video, it, it's it's funny. Yeah, he, you should check out his stuff on Penny Arcade. Yeah, he's talking about, you know, this is the book, this is the story. Down the road, there were four specters that were staring at me. I have a piece of bark in my pocket, it's going to keep them away, but they'll be back. It's just totally <laughs> non-sequitur. And, just, and then back to the campaign. So you guys can go ahead and find Brood Hollow online and read it yourself at broodhollow.chainsawsuit.com. Make sure to follow Chris on Twitter at broodhollow. And then on Facebook.com forward slash Brood Hollow, make sure to like their page. Chris, we really enjoyed your comic. Thank you so much for sharing your skills and creativity with us all. We really had a great time checking it out. Well done, sir. Well done. Well done. Can't wait for book two. Yeah, we were very much on the edge of our seats. I I hope you're right, Brian, that it does come out in October. I don't remember when the actual date was, but we are sitting on the edge of our seats quite literally. So thanks so much, you guys, for listening to Geek Life. We always love to hear from our listeners. Please email us at geeklife at pandamanga.com with your questions, comments, and insights. Anyone interested in becoming a PM contributor, visit our contact page at contact.pandamanga.com and complete the form located there. Music has been provided by AirPlus Recordings. As always, links to the artists and songs featured in this episode are available in the show notes at podcast.pandamanga.com. If you'd like more information about AirPlus Recordings, visit airplusrecordings.com. Now, for those of you guys that are interested in being a contributor, go to our contributor page and fill out the form there. We are starting to actually get bumping with a bunch of new comics. We have a new comic called The Narwhal Knight by Brad Langer from Canada. It is a great, great comic. It has a similar sort of feel and tone to Scott Pilgrim, which I don't think is at all not on purpose. <laughs> it's from Canada, too? It is from Canada, too. It's, it's a great comic. It's about a guy and his friends dealing with an invasion of tiny ankle-high vampires, and it's fucking hilarious. So we're so glad to have Brad's stuff on the site, and we're going to do actually a whole look-through of his comic into a, a proper spotlight. Also, Marcus's Mallow Man is going to show up on the website. We haven't decided about how much we're going to show, but definitely the first issue will be up. Yeah. So uh, how, the format and the release schedule and all of that will be coming out soon. We'll let you guys know as soon as we know. But uh, look forward to checking out Marcus's excellent stuff so you can so you can look at his stuff and then listen to his voice and you can have the complete Marcus experience. And then you can find me on Facebook and put a face to it and then you can go to my house and stalk me and know where I live and or not. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. And uh, this is JP. And we'll see you next time. Good night, everyone.
One second, let me just text him. God damn it. Interrupting us with your goddamn text. Isn't yeah, this how, pod- how, how very unprofessional of you, James. Isn't this podcast the most fucking important thing? Rather than have to be on your phone, the goddamn I'm route. going home. Okay. What are you doing? Sending game advice? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> I thought he's like sending gay invites. <laughs> Those are cockagrams. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> all right. 